When we share someone's story here on The Diaries, the episode might end, but their story doesn't. So many of the people we've talked to, they've gone on to do incredible things. They have epic adventures and make significant impacts in our community. Over on Diaries Plus, we're catching up with some of our former guests to see what they've been up to. I recently sat down with Connor Ryan, a Lakota professional skier from our Sacred Slopes episode, who's been knocking out groundbreaking projects ever since the episode aired. It's really incredible. We had a great discussion about the impacts he's made, what keeps his fire burning, and taking ski lessons as a pro skier. Here's a snippet of the conversation. All the source of joy that I use to fill my cup to be out in the world doing positive things comes from my relationship to the outdoors. And so I've really focused on like, wow, like there's so much power if I can give one person the relationship to the outdoors that that I have through skiing. And maybe that will have as profound of an effect on them as it's had on me. To listen to the full episode, use the link in the show notes to subscribe to Diaries Plus today. Yeah, you get more shows, but you also have a peace of mind of powering what's out there right now, keeping us moving forward, keeping this community together. So thank you for everyone who supported and everyone who's going to support. We appreciate it. On a mild January day last year, I called my twin sister to ask if she wanted to hike the John Muir Trail with me. Four weeks off the grid, 211 miles, 45,000 feet of climbing. Becca has a bum knee from a rugby accident back in college. She has a wonky hip, a two-year-old, and a full-time job. On top of that, she and her family would be relocating from Salt Lake City to Corvallis, Oregon, at the same time we'd be due to hit the trail. Needless to say, I didn't expect her to say yes, but she didn't hesitate. Her voice warmed with excitement as we planned our adventure. We'd both take time off our jobs, and Becca would fly to L.A., where I lived, and we'd drive together to the trailhead. It was a stunning route, arguably the most beautiful portion of the PCT. We'd both hiked sections of that trail many times, growing up in the Pacific Northwest, so it would be a homecoming of sorts. Most importantly, we'd be doing something remarkable to honor our looming 40th birthdays, and we'd be doing it together. Of all the things Beck and I have shared in our lives, from bedrooms to Doc Martens to cars, Somehow we'd never shared a backpacking trip. Given our upbringing exploring the outdoors, this seems strange. We'd camped near rivers, in RV parks, and in our parents' basement. We'd skied in five states, whitewater rafted in three, and kayaked in Bellingham Bay. We'd snowshoed, canoed coastal lakes, and built beach bonfires. We'd hiked more waterfalls than there were hairs on our collective heads, and our bookshelves were infused with each other's favorites— Annie Dillard, Edward Abbey, Terry Tempest Williams. Love of the wilderness ran deep in our shared DNA. Nature bound us to each other as tightly as the womb we'd once shared. And still, in almost 40 years, we'd failed to go backpacking together. We did backpack, just not with each other. The treks we planned recently, by ourselves, with friends or partners, 
seemed to symbolize our diverging lives, the different paths we were going down. Becca's path seemed, from the outside in any case, to march forward in a straight line. She'd met Dan in college, and they'd been together ever since. She was married, drove a Subaru, and worked from a home that she owned, with a vegetable garden in the backyard. My path, on the other hand, felt disjointed. I'd moved from big cities to small towns and back again, building an oddly shaped career and living in apartments of varying quality. Most recently, I'd moved to Los Angeles hoping to save a crumbling marriage, which didn't work. At age 35, I found myself divorced, childless, and in one of the least appealing apartments yet, wondering what it would take to change those circumstances and if my life was ever going to feel more solid. Not long after my divorce, Becca called. She was pregnant. I listened as she carefully chose her words, trying not to sound overly excited. Early evening California light streamed gold through my windows, and I tried my best to mimic it as I congratulated Becca, although my throat tightened and my heart felt frozen in place. When I got off the phone, I wept, out of envy and bitterness and out of horror for feeling those things. I'd been jealous of Becca before, of course. As twins, it was easy to resent the things she had that I didn't. She was better at sports, better at school, better at getting along with people. But this was different. This time she had something I wanted more than anything. Something we were supposed to do together. That had been the plan, after all. We were going to raise our children as though they were siblings, not cousins take them blackberry picking, find starfish in tide pools. We were going to read to them, hike with them, make s'mores and stargaze. They would share the things we had shared, grow up in lockstep just as we had. Becca wasn't supposed to do this without me. But how could I blame her? She was 36, and her family was waiting, while mine was nowhere in sight. Now, three years later, we were planning our 40th birthday. I'd upgraded my apartment and landed a fulfilling, sink-your-teeth-in kind of job. I'd also found a sink-your-teeth-in kind of relationship with a man who felt like he was there to stay. But the time it had taken to rebuild my life had also taken its toll on my body, and my ability to conceive proved more and more doubtful. To process my emotions, I'd head out on solo backpacking trips into the desert or the mountains. With no way to distract my mind, I'd try to decide if I could still live a happy life if I missed my shot at pregnancy, and if so, whether I was ready to give up on motherhood entirely. In the Angeles Mountains, Los Padres National Forest, and Jacinto Wilderness, I asked the squirrels and the stars why I had to wrestle with this choice at all, and whether, as the years ticked by, there was any choice left to make. My 40th birthday represented not only the loss of my youth, but the potential loss of ever having a baby as well. I wanted to face my 40th and everything it represented head on. 
to ground the fears and the hopes that swirled inside me, and to regain my balance through literal miles. And I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to do it with the person I'd been born with, and who, with the birth of her son, had begun a journey down a road I couldn't follow. When Becca agreed to through-hike the JMT with me, it felt like everything I needed fell into place. This was going to be the trip of our twindom, and we couldn't wait. And yet. Our lottery bid for slots on the trail, after repeated efforts, fell through. Disappointed, we adjusted, curtailing our month-long through-hike to a five-day backpack along the southern end of the JMT. A month before we were due to begin, Becca's knee began bothering her. She petitioned her doctor for a cortisone shot, which she got, but it didn't do much to stop the pain. Rather than cancel the trip, she resigned herself to wearing a huge, heavy, robotic-looking knee brace during the hike. Then, just a week before we were due to begin, she told me she was pregnant with her second child. Before I could say a word, or even register an emotion, Becca said, I talked to two different doctors, and they say I can still go on the trip. I'm not missing this backpack, Sarah. This is for us. On that trip, we trudged through tough uphill days, followed by godlike vistas and the glow of shared ginger snaps and success. Hour upon hour, mile upon mile, we talked about the mundane and the profound, about our work, our partners, our dogs. We ate guilt-free meals of Annie's macaroni and cheese with no one to judge the amount of sriracha we added to it. We watched the light slip below mountain peaks in the reflection of vernal lakes and taunted the mosquitoes trying to get in our tent at night. We skinny-dipped in lakes so clear that we could see our toes sparkling below and rested our backs against hills of wildflowers. It may have been late August, but in the Sierras it was still spring, bursting forth after the winter's epic snowpack. We didn't mention the pregnancy much beyond the complications it caused, like Becca's morning sickness or her need to sit down and eat more frequently than normal. But it was there, nonetheless, something small and good. One afternoon, hiking around Lake Arrowhead, we began to talk about names. When the baby was big enough, we would take him or her back to these trails, and we decided to pick a name that would remind us of that promise. Pika became a front-runner for a few hours, and Whitney and Wren. Becca and I are fraternal twins, which means we don't look alike, and our features, just like our personalities and our preferences, vary wildly. It was fun to find we had so much in common as backpackers. We enjoyed a similar pace, strong and steady. We both wanted to reach specific goals for the day, and once we'd set our sights on those goals, there was no going back. We preferred similar routes, liked to check the map often, and were picky about our campsites. But differences in our backpacking styles came up, too. My bare-bones first aid kit appalled Becca, a trained wilderness first responder. She insisted we take hers, even though it weighed a ton. I was shocked to discover she didn't use a bladder hydration system and that it wasn't unusual for her to carry bacon and butter on her treks. 
Rediscovering things about the other person, even small things, reminded us of everything we knew and loved about each other. Every minute we spent in the backcountry, with no schedules or cell phones or other people to attend to, we turned towards each other. There was nothing to distract us from listening to the other person, no reason to stay silent if we had something to share. And when we did walk in silence, lost in the beauty of the scenery or the misery of a steep ascent, we stayed connected with no effort at all. When, all too soon, it came time to leave the trail, it felt like we were leaving some golden week recaptured from our childhood. It had been exactly what both of us needed. Now that we'd finally made our first backpack happen, we knew there were so many more to come. As we drove back to LA, we talked about possible routes to hike the following summer, scheming how we would leave Becca's newborn with our parents so that she and I could get in some trail time. In another few years, we reasoned, we'd take our partners and whatever kids we had with us out for what would become an annual family backpack. Our paths might have diverged for a while, but it felt like they were coming together again. Any resentment and jealousy I'd felt dissolved somewhere in the Sierras, replaced by gratitude to have my sister back by my side. A month and a half after our trip, Becca called me mid-morning on a workday. I missed the call. When I called her back, she didn't pick up. I'm not much for believing in telepathy, even between twins, but I knew what had happened well before my mother told me the news a few hours later. It wasn't anyone's fault, she said. It wasn't the backpacking trip, but the baby-to-be was gone. These things happened, she said. I knew my mom was right, and Becca knew it too. When I spoke with her, she said as much. And then we both cried, together, for the loss of a life we had already begun to love. Plans get made, go astray, and give way to new ones. The 40-odd miles Becca and I hiked on the JMT was a far cry from the 211 we had prepared for. And the 40-year-old woman I became is not the one I'd originally planned to be. But life, just like any trail, doesn't always heed even our best-laid plans. I don't know what lies around the next corner of my path, whether it's a son or a daughter, a niece or a nephew, or no more children at all. But I do know my twin is with me now, walking along beside me, as she has been for every day of my life, and as she will be in every one to follow. I'm Sarah Lan, and this is my short. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your story. Music today from Bradley Carter, Kai Engel, Ken Christensen, and Brendan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, DirtPackDiaries.com. This episode was produced by the one, the only, Cordelia Zars. 
and the other one and only Ashley Langholz. Rebecca Call. She's our executive producer. She's back at work. Yes. I'm Fitzka Hall, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> maybe, maybe they won't hear the kids running around in the background. <laughs> <laughs>